welcome to the 360 method a weekly podcast where we chat about everything autism 360 each week we'll be catching you up with what's going on in the program chatting with team members and talking all things mindset as well as exploring relevant ideas that autism parents think about this week we are talking about puberty with our lovely positive behavior support and mindset coach renee who is back to join us hello renee hello hello to all our lovely uh, parents and carers out there it's great to be back yay it's lovely to have you back um, I'm Ella, I'm your host, um, and it is so lovely to have you um, with us listeners. Um, I'm an Autism 360 veteran coach, explorer of all things parenting support, um, and it's lovely to um, chat about this topic that so many parents, I think, have, um, have difficulty with getting enough information um, and resources on. So please let us know, is this helpful? We care about your thoughts and experiences and feedback. So please do drop us a line at hello at autism360.com. We love your feedback, whether you're a program member or not. So before we get started with chatting about all things puberty, um, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on whose land I live and work and from where this podcast is being broadcast today. And also just make the disclaimer that this this podcast does not substitute for medical advice. If you have concerns about yourself or about your team, please do contact medical assistance. So, Renee, you're a teen mum. Yes, not, I not, am. Not a teen mum, a mum of teens. <laughs> yes, and that, that's a very different, whole different category, Ella. But yes, I do. I have a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old, so definitely in the teen years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's one that lots of, I guess, parents in general, but specifically autism parents, don't have a lot of resources. It seems like there's far more available for much younger kids in terms of advice and support. Have you noticed yes. people saying that? Absolutely. And I think even with the, the government support, there's a lot more for younger children as well. So I, I think there's a definitely a big need for that support and advice for people navigating because it's such a tricky time to navigate as it is, um, let alone, you know, knowing, well, is this something that a neurotypical child will be doing or if, what, what's, you know, what do we expect here and how do we manage all of those things? It's definitely a bit of a, a, a minefield. And I think a lot of parents feel quite nervous about those years, those teenage years, and how do we get through them? So there's just a lot of influences, obviously, with high school and um, peer pressure and uh, hormones, so many things all at once, and a lot of pressures as well. So it's a, it's a great topic today. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've been doing a lot of research into what the research says about the experience of autistic teens, um, I guess, kind of in comparison to a typically developing teen, but also um, the variety of experiences sort of between um, different autistic teens or different um, neurodivergent teens. And what's really interesting is that um, physiologically, the, the things that are going on for autistic teens, um, neurodiverse teens, are the same as for their neurotypical counterparts and neurotypical teens. So any physical changes, hormonal changes, those sorts of things, they're very much the same and they're very much happening at the same chronological age. So the hormonal um, changes, the endocrine changes that are going on for, for, for teenagers, they typically start around eight, which is quite early. 
you know, it's, I think it's a lot earlier than people think. Um, and you might not start to see any physical signs of maturation or bodily changes until a few years later. But, um, you know, autistic eight-year-olds are having those same changes that, uh, that, that are going on for their um, typical peers, but maybe aren't equipped in the same way or don't have the same um, types of uh, capacity to understand what's going on. And I think that that's where things can get really tricky. Mm, absolutely. I think having those skills to be able to cope and manage, you know, all those things is, is really what we need to continue to work on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I'll give a little bit of context to, for, for families who are, who are looking to, to uh, kind of understand this area a little bit better. Um, and then Renee, you can come in with your, um, your specific strategies. There, there are kind of three main areas of, of change that go on um, for teens, autistic or non-autistic. They're physical, they're neural and they're cognitive. Um, so your physical changes are the ones that, you know, everybody knows about, about all the, um, you know, the bodily things that are going on. Your neural is um, a little bit more um, under the surface, right? So what, what, what's going on for your teen during puberty is actually similar to what's going on for them neurally when they're an infant and a toddler. The process is called neuronal pruning. And what that means is that it's the it's the biggest uh, apart from infancy, um, it's the biggest time of neuronal change um, within the human lifespan trajectory. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And um, what's going on is that their um, their neuronal pathways, the things that solidify behavior, that solidify thought patterns, that um, really drive um, behavioral patterns are becoming more concrete. And they're also doing what's called pruning of those unused um, neurons. So anything that's not really being used will be reallocated in terms of neural capacity, which is really amazing. Um, yes. and, but what it also drives is that last category of change which is the cognitive category and so that's why we start seeing things like uh higher order thinking skills coming more into play or um kind of abstract reasoning um empathy starts to deepen um a more um kind of deeper uh, questioning about their own identity and their um, place in the world and those sorts of things start to happen because these neural um these neural pruning mechanisms are going on. So that's why we're getting a whole bunch of physical changes at the same time as getting a whole bunch of complicated thoughts and emotions and um, all those kinds of things. Um, so that's kind of, I wanted to give parents the context that what's going on physically for your teen is very much the same as um, what's going on for a neurotypical Team, which is great for us because it means that we can access, you know, any of the resources that are about physical changes um, that are available for the kind of public more broadly, you can use to help, um, you know, explain things to your artistic team. Where things are going to be a little bit different is in the way that their, um, their social and cognitive um, life might change. And so that's why teens might need a bit more support. What do you think about that, Renee? I think that's great news um, because really it helps parents understand that, okay, really it comes down to those things that we can 
help support them with, help those um, behaviours, help learn those skills to be able to deal with um, emotions and all those, you know, hormonal changes that are going on, which is normal for every uh, teenager, uh, as you said. So really it comes down to our ability to really manage that and um, they're the sorts of skills that we can help them build as well, which is fantastic. So, um, you know, my tips around that would be, really, you know, emotions are quite high at that time. Um, sometimes you, you might have noticed like the girls become a little bit more emotional at times. Maybe your boys are becoming a little bit more, you know, that testosterone seems to be heightened. Um, so that is a big thing. And I think that there's so many things going on at once, as you said, Ella, and the hormones and the emotions can be very, um, you know, is strong at that time. So really working with them to manage their emotions, I think is really important to learn how to teach them those skills of how to identify how they're feeling to start with, um, which is a big thing. Um, you know, identifying our emotions is a big part of solving the problem. And I had a, a parent I was working with this week, actually, whose son was getting very aggressive and explosive with his emotions and communicating. And we looked at, I said, well, you know, where do you think this could be coming from? What's the function of this behavior? And um, that reason of why he's feeling like that. And she said, you know what I think it is? I think he doesn't feel understood. Mm. I think he feels that people don't understand him and he's not feeling heard. So as soon as we looked at that, we were able to address that actual issue and put our finger on, okay, this is where this is coming from. This has been an ongoing thing. He's now a teenager, so we're working on those behaviors. And from that, I said to her, you know, what, what do you say in those moments? And the thing she was saying was very good. She's actually a mental health um, worker. But some of those comments I said could be a bit triggering for him. Why don't you ask him what would he like to hear from you in that time? First of all, what is it that you're feeling at those times when he's calm? Obviously, they had that conversation. He said, I do feel like I get very defensive because I don't feel like people understand me. So she said to him, what would you like from me in those times? Because, you know, I want you to feel understood. So he actually told her what he needed. And from that, she's not only got the terminology of what to say to him or what he needs to hear, um, but he, she knows now what he's wanting. And because he helped come up with the solution, he can't, you know, there's that element of ownership. It's like, well, mum's doing what I've asked her to do. So he started to calm down and communicate with her so much better, which is fantastic. And um, it's such a good outcome because, you know, not only has he helped identify how he was feeling, what the problem was, he's identified what he needed from, from her and his family. Uh, he's learned how to solve a problem, like come up with his own solution to this problem that he was feeling. And he's got ownership, he's got buy-in to now this solution that they both have. So that's just a really good example, I think, of how we can empower our young people to say, you know, how you're feeling, what is going on for you, and what is it that you need at that time? And rather than us telling them what to do or telling them to calm down, which sometimes can be a triggering, just calm down. Sometimes that's the last thing that you want to hear when you're upset. So, you know, it really helped changing their relationship, which is wonderful. And the interesting thing, he has a repetitive behavior and he would say the same thing over and over in different ways. And she said, 
again, I think is because he thinks people don't understand him. And he's sort of, it's, it has affected him socially because it's obviously a bit off-putting for people when he's saying this repetitively. So she said, what do you need when you're feeling like that? And he said, you know what, I just need a hug. Um, which was really interesting that it wasn't what he wanted to hear that I've been heard. It was actually, I just need a hug at that time. So how awesome is that? They've now got some strategies that they've developed together and it's changing their relationship. So I just think be aware of those things, you know, just talk to your, um, to, talk to your teenage uh, child and, and help them come up with their solutions. Okay, you're feeling like this. What is it that, you know, what, what could we do or what could you do to help you feel better or what do you need from us um, or me as the parent? So those, you know, helping them learn how to solve their own problems in life is an amazing skill. And once they learn how to do that, you know, that really changes the ball game. So um, really good skills to teach them and empowering them as well. Uh, so I think that's really super important. Uh, Ella, what, what do you think? Yeah, I love that, that the team was able to come to the party and sort of collaboratively problem solve um, that thing. I think um, teams, you know, that's what coming into a bit more of an understanding of themselves and um, a bit more of an understanding of themselves as an individual, as separate from their parents is a really big part of being a teenager. And a lot of you know, frustration-based struggles that teens have is is when parents and carers, you know, or at least the, the, the teen feels that parents and carers aren't giving them the autonomy that they feel like they should. Um, yes. And I think going into a kind of discussion around this thing when it, not in the moment, not when somebody's escalated, but when everybody's um, nice and regulated, having that sort of collaborative approach helps communicate to your teen, yes, like I trust you, to come with me on this journey as an equal, as somebody who can problem solve for themselves, as an emerging adult, I'm not gonna dictate to you how we're going to solve this problem because I know that you have this burgeoning independence that you want to that you want to foster. Thumbs up or around for me. Yeah, so yes, rather than that, this is how you should be doing it. It's like, I, I think they, that's the last thing is they want us telling them what to, what something else to do. So yeah, absolutely, that independence really important. So um, yeah, so look, the other thing is, um, you know, research has shown that around 72% of uh, teenagers with um, autism actually do experience depression and anxiety during these years. So there's a lot, you know, a lot of big things going on within them internally and one of the things I think really is important is to make sure that well first of all we're aware of those things keeping our eye out for it to start with um, but you know sometimes just those basic structures like sleep okay what time are your children getting to sleep at night um, having those routines in place of going to bed at, at, a, at the same time or a certain time um, waking up at a certain time each day and I think sometimes when especially if they're not going to they're being homeschooled they may be lacking a lot of that structure that we all thrive on so I had a, um, a, a teenage boy that he, he wasn't going to school uh, he was being homeschooled so he lost all that structure uh, he wanted to get back to school but he was struggling to you know get get that happening because of anxiety and things like that. So I said, you need to set up a routine. We need to develop a structure here. And so he just ran with it. It was like he he just went, 
So he did his own Google Calendar. Um, he's worked out his whole day. What time are you going to go to bed at night? He made the decision, I'm going to go to bed at this time. He's set up a thing to stop his games and things like that. He's now getting up in the morning. He's going to school consistently. Uh, but he's taken ownership of this calendar. Oh, it was just so good to see. And as a result of that, he's um, things are going better with friendships. Um, he's feeling better about himself. He's now been offered to go to the gym with some friends and he even got offered a job by one of his friends. And, and he's actually got selective mutism. So it's like, it's just like such an amazing thing to see that. But that structure has just given him this, this you know, feeling of I'm in control of, of my life rather than that lack of, it, it gets very overwhelming. And, you, you know, we all thrive on that. Our, our body, our, you know, sleep rhythms, all of that. We need to really be aware of that. So I would just say to parents, really monitor that with your children, make sure they're getting sleep at a good time, getting up at a certain time. They've got structure in their in their life and maybe see if they want to develop their own calendar. They, they might really love that. So that's something I think is really important. Um, you know, exercising, obviously very good for anxiety as well. Um, if, you know, make sure they are doing that, make sure they've got a way to, you know, get out those, all those emotions um, in a positive way as well. So um, and then the last thing, Elle, I think self-esteem is something that can often take a bit of a, um, a hit at, at those ages. People are comparing themselves to their peers. There's a lot of social media influence about what I should look like, all of that. So, you know, I would be really teaching them from a young age about self-love, but if, if not, really make sure that you know, you look at some self-love activities with them about what are those messages they're saying to themselves over and over. Maybe they're quite negative. You know, maybe it's I'm fat, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, you know, I'm not good enough. Um, we need to turn that around and really teach them how to start saying positive things to themselves and and looking in the mirror. Like even if they could learn to say one thing that they like about themselves when they look in the mirror. Um, that can start to turn that around you know we can obviously take self-love a lot further but I think with teenagers it's just like perhaps just a few of those small things like let's have some positive affirmations that you say to yourself um, let's make sure we're reinforcing those things to them because they probably need to hear it even if they are a bit resistant deep down I'm sure that they're looking for that more than ever and um, also teaching them how to just do some nice self-love things for themselves as well, um, which is something that everybody needs, but particularly um, at that age where things are, you know, really, um, I think, heightened even more in terms of where we sit socially and where we fit into the world as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um something that I think can be tricky for um, autistic teens who do struggle with maybe some social understanding um, is that, um, you know, relationships can get much more complex with peers, with um, siblings around that time. There's, there can be much more going on and it can be much more subtle. Um, and I think uh, giving them a way to communicate around those things can make a can make a massive difference. Um, there is some um, apparent question that I wanted to ask you this week, um, which is from um, Cece in Singapore, um, and she's asking: uh, My thirteen-year-old daughter has become very secretive about what she's doing on the internet. Do you have any ideas about how I should handle this? Yes, 
it's a very common one actually yeah, and something that I yeah and a lot of them are very um very defensive about you looking at their phone and I think if they are that's that's a bit of a red flag in itself uh but definitely keeping on top of that having some rules about you know what like managing the phone and or technology so that you can keep an eye on what what they're looking at what they're being exposed to the worst thing is to really just not be aware at all because it's it's one of those things that they're so easily influenced at that time so i think you know keeping keeping on top of that from an early age is important uh, communicating with them as well is something that I think we need to keep those lines of communication open so our children do feel like they can talk to us if they're unsure about something and and they feel like it's a safe place to do that they're not going to feel judged they're not going to get in you know a huge amount of trouble obviously depending on what it is but I think just them feeling like they can trust you to say hey I saw this online or you know, make sure that they can check in with you as well is um is really important. And I think, you know, sex is a big thing that I, I've spoken to my children about because they're exposed to so many things online that we never had growing up ever. And it's the amount of exposure that they have to sex and all of that is is out of control and it's a really hard one for us to control so I think we need to say to them hey look these things that you're seeing this is not a normal relationship this is not what is expected or how a loving couple is with each other because I think I wanted to make sure that my daughter knew that that is not how you get treated. If you're seeing something, you know, between a man and a woman and the same with my son, I wanted to make sure that he knew that that's, you know, that's not how it is in the real world in terms of a loving relationship with a woman because obviously some of the things that they're seeing is quite degrading at times as well. So I think, you know, it's an uncomfortable topic in, in a way to deal with with our children, but it's a really important one so that they know what, what is a normal, healthy relationship sexually and what, what is not that you're just seeing online and, you know, if there's porn and things like that, that they, they may just get exposed to. It's hard to control all of those things. So um, control it as much as you can, obviously. Let them know that you trust them, okay? I think that that element of trust so that they do feel like, okay, I've got some responsibility here, but keep an eye on it and then keep the communication channels very open so that they can check in with you about things and um, uh, obviously have those conversations about sex. You really have to address that at this age and it's something that if you don't have that influence on them, they're learning from the, the the internet um, a lot of the time you can't just rely on school to teach them all those things so I think that's a really important topic to address as well yeah I think there's some wild statistic that like nine out like nine out of ten eight-year-olds have already seen porn or something wild um wow. you sort of think okay well you know as the internet age develops as kids become more um digitally literate the amount of of the, of control avenues that we have to to kind of shield them until they're developmentally ready to engage with those things gets less and less so i guess i guess specifically for cc in relation to this question does your daughter have a place that she can come to you where she isn't 
feeling judged about what she's going to bring to you that she's struggling with. So how are you, um, what is your tone, your body language, your facial expression telling her about the way you feel about what she's saying to you? Because all of those things can communicate to a teen that they aren't safe bringing things to you. So really look at how you're constructing what I like to call a safe harbor metaphor for your home, that it doesn't matter what's going on out in the world, it doesn't matter what's going on out there on the internet, that your home is their safe harbor. They can come there and know that nothing they do is going to make you love them any less um, and they can bring anything to you. Um, and so be really active in the way that you cultivate that um, and you should see a little bit of, um, a little bit more freedom, at least of communication from your daughter. Absolutely. That's so important, Ella. And I think the other thing to be mindful and talk to them about is um, sending photos online. Uh, this is a really big issue and the laws in Australia, actually, if you get send a photo to someone under age or even if they send it to you, you can actually be charged. So it's really amazing that the laws, um, it's so strict and they do teach them this in our schools here in Australia, but, um, you know, obviously it differs worldwide, but that is something that they really need to be aware of. But also once that's out there, it's out there forever. So uh, really talking to them about how to deal with those situations as well from a young age is very important as well. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think um, this topic is something that we'll probably come back to um, in upcoming episodes, maybe a few episodes on, um, I don't know, puberty and independence or puberty and getting a job or that kind of thing. So if you're a listener and you'd like to hear that, please do let us know. Thank you for coming and chatting with me today, oh, Renee. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be back. I love it. And um, yeah, well done to all the parents listening. I mean, obviously you wouldn't be here if you weren't amazing parents so and carers. And I just really acknowledge you for what you're doing. Uh, keep going because it's sometimes we feel like, is, is it working or these things I'm doing? But you know what? It, all these little steps is like compounding interest and all the things you're doing really do pay off. So, so keep up the great work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, lovely listeners. Um, we appreciate you and we appreciate you being here. So if you um, have any more questions for Renee or for myself, please do drop us an email um, and we will chat next week about another interest. Oh, next week I have um, a dietitian on to talk about um, autism and uh, dietetics and nutrition and all that exciting stuff. So that's next week's podcast. So until then, Think360.